Welcome back to Half the Battle. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Shaq, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC Minneapolis, Francis Ngannou versus Junior Dos Santos, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in Minnesota, two of the most vicious knockout artists in the history of the heavyweight division. And I have a feeling this fight's only going to end in two ways, with a canvas nap and a 50K bonus. Yeah, for sure. You know, whoever wins this fight, you can definitely pencil them in for that 50K. And uh, JDS is a top five heavyweight of all time. I mean, we don't got to look at his resume, but we know what this guy brings to the table. And Francis Ngannou, some people have said that he could possibly be the greatest heavyweight of all time a year ago. And, uh, you know, they wrote him off and, you know, he had a couple losses. He bounced back. And uh, it seems like uh, the Francis of old is back. So let's see uh, if he continues that pattern this weekend. Well, if he wants to be the greatest heavyweight of all time, uh, there's no better place to start than taking out the former champion, Junior Cigano Dos Santos, the man that knocked out Cain Velasquez, the man that beat Shane Carwin back when Shane was running through everyone. Where Doom knocked him out in under a minute, was supposed to fight Brock Lesnar, coach tough with him. Uh, Junior Cigano's got quite the legacy. Knocked out Frank Mir, Mark Hunt with a spinning kick. I mean, uh, what hasn't Cigano done? Yeah, he's an out, an out, a, a future UFC Hall of Famer. So uh, let's see if Francis can beat two former champions. Yeah, with well, Francis and Gano, I mean, like Dana said, uh, he's got the power of a Ford Escort. <laughs> the only funny thing about that was <laughs> he said that right before the Stipe fight, right? And then right after that, he had the Derek Lewis. But look. It was the typical case of, uh, of these young fighters that are new to this fame getting cocky. And he... Uh, he decided to go to France two weeks before his title fight. You know, he, he was probably out there partying, doing doing God knows what. I mean, when you're knocking guys out that quickly and that viciously, you probably think you're invincible, and uh, he had to learn he's not. You literally thought that he uh, <laughs> that he was Thanos over here. There's something in my hands that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you literally thought he was God's gift to fighting. He's going out there to France a week before his title fight. But listen, man, I think he's been humbled. I think that now he's on a two-fight win streak. Granted, both those wins have come under a minute, but it, goes, uh, it gives credit to his power that this guy can literally touch you once. It doesn't even have to be flush, and you can be unconscious. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's a, there's a lot of great uh, fights on the undercard as well. Yes, there are. So let's get right down to business because first off, in the heavyweight division, we got Maurice the Crochet Boss Green. He's 7-2. and two, And Junior Albini is 14-5. and five. Currently, they got Junior Albini minus 115. Maurice Green is minus 105. Shaq, Junior Albini is coming off three straight losses. He's lost every single way he can lose. The decision, a submission, now most recently a knockout. You know he wants to get back on track here, but do you think he has what it takes to close the distance against the six foot seven Maurice Green? Yeah, you know, Junior Albini had that good, impressive debut over a guy like Tim Johnson. And it seems like after that fight, people kept, kept giving him chance after chance to prove himself. He's been the favorite in all three of those fights, just like he's a favorite here again. And, uh, you know, those three times, it, it hasn't worked out. You know, the fight against Andre Arlovsky, who at the time, even these guys that pull stunts in there against against Andre, like guys still go in there and pull stunts against Andre, a la Walt Harris, a la Sakai, a la Marcin Tybora, and they still win, you know what I'm saying? But uh, Albini pulled a stunt and got 30-27. So it's like making me believe, hmm, maybe Albini's a complete, been a complete fraud this entire time. And when you really dig in, you know, prior to the UFC, he really hadn't fought anybody. He came in there with against Tim Johnson, and I actually picked Albini to win that fight because going into that fight, Tim Johnson 
was on a lot of people's shows saying, complaining about money, and, you know, he was saying he needs more money, and he felt like the UFC owed him something and, and, and shit like that, and it kind of sounded like he lost motivation, and now he's getting knocked out in Bellator, you know, so there's a good chance that that grinding style of Tim just couldn't work anymore, and Junior, perfect timing, slid in there and knocked him out, but, you know, Junior's style is just to throw power shots, his volume is very low, his cardio is proven that it's not very good. Look at the Arlovsky fight. Arlovsky honestly gave him a clinic. I mean, he just threw straight shots on him into his body. Albini couldn't catch him. He's got a good left foot, but if you stand there along with Albini, he's what we like to call a stunt puller. You know, he takes Alexi down. Uh, you know, he literally, literally gives Alexi the uh, <laughs> the Ezekiel choke. He stares at Arlovsky. <laughs> he stares at Arlovsky when he's minus three thirty something, and everyone puts their entire account on him. You know what I'm saying? What's Arlovsky's record in his last 10, 11 fights? Like two and nine. So, you know, and then his last fight with Rosenstrike, you know, Rosenstrike definitely is a credential kickboxer, but at the time going into that matchup, we were saying Albini's too experienced for him because Rosenstrike's only got five fights and he just started MMA the other day. And, uh, and you know, to be honest, Albini was on the ropes at, by the end of that first round and he got knocked out right away in the second. So, you know, Maurice Green, on the other hand, they, they portrayed this guy on tough as, you know, as if he was a drunk. And I mean, he, he wasn't there drinking, that's for sure. And, you know, he's got a, he's had some time. Ferguson was too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he ain't the first drunk on tough. <laughs> There's been plenty drunk. Some of your favorite fighters were in that tough house sacking a fucking ass. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, it, is, it makes for good TV. They need, they, they gotta have a drunk guy. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Maurice Green was that guy. And, you know, he made the, the semifinals. He he, uh, he lost to Espino, the eventual winner. And he got ran through against Espino. But one real, thing, quick, real quick, sorry to interrupt. Where's Espino where's been? I haven't seen uh, his I think ass. he's injured, but he, was in, he had an injury. Oh, he's injured. Yeah. And he's really old, so. Um, gotcha. But he's really good. Um, but he's heavyweight, you know. He can, he can make a run at heavyweight at 50. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Maurice... Uh, one thing he's always shown is glimpses of a guy, you know, he's 6'7", a former basketball player. He knows how to use his length with the teeps, the jabs, and the elbows at range. Prior to going into the tough house, he, he lost to Jeff Hughes, and he avenged that loss with his fight uh, after he submitted that guy that uh, split wrestling matches with Daniel Cormier. I forget his name, Batista. And, uh, you know, he bounced back with that fight against Jeff Hughes, who, in my opinion, is more of a long-term heavyweight, a guy with better cardio than Albini. And McGree Green stayed in there, used his length, hurt Jeff, uh, Jeff Hughes a couple times with jabs, hurt him with elbows a couple times. And when you're 6'7 and you impose that type of range on your opponents who are a little shorter now, Albini's definitely a little taller than Jeff Hughes. But one thing about Albini is he's that typical Brazilian fighter that gasses as the rounds progress on. And I think Marie Green has good weapons as the fight progresses on with the teeps of the body to make Albini tired, make him to start look for ways out of this fight. And, you know, I feel like Albini's confidence has got to be really low. Currently, I mean, look at his last three fights. They've just been a disaster. If things start to go wrong in this fight again, I think he's going to start to look for ways out again or possibly get finished. I think you're going to see the best Maurice Green. I think he's cleaned up uh, a lot of things in his life. He's been training in Colorado at Factory X. And, you know, not that that means anything per se, but I just think if you push Albini, he'll look for ways out. Yeah, look, I think that ever since they gave Albini that 50K bonus, the guy's gone completely off the rails. And, it, look, it happens for some guys. I mean, you remember when Pat Barry got two 50K bonuses in that one fight? 
Jason Knight. When Pat Berry fought, was it Anthony Hardonk? And he got two two bonuses for that fight. And then uh, he got knocked out every single fight after that. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things where, you know, you just shouldn't have given Junior Albini a 50K bonus because, uh, no, I mean, I'm talking a little bit of shit. But the reality here is that Junior Albini just wasn't that good to begin with. And, and that's the reality. I mean, he's a basic tie striker. Has some pretty heavy leg kicks. I mean, he's a big boy. But, man, he's kind of out of shape and uh, kind of just questionable fight I you now the confidence is definitely within question here man with maurice green you know i was kind of under the impression at first that it was this big joke you know the way they portrayed him on tough i didn't really watch that show closely i was like oh it's that guy maurice green he's smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol he's not gonna last and then he goes in there against a cuban olympian a guy that defeated daniel cormier in wrestling and he taps him out in the first round i was like Oh shit, like this guy Maurice Green ain't that bad. I mean, it's not every day you see a heavyweight going for triangles off their back and getting them. So I was kind of like, okay, not bad. Next fight goes in there as a big underdog against a guy who had already beat him a year prior. And man, he was using his range really nicely. I just feel like the finished product of Maurice Green is going to is going is far superior to whatever Junior Albini is going to be in his finished product and Unfortunately, this is Junior Albini's finished product because I think after he takes this L, this is the last time we're going to see him, man. So I think that the six foot seven green, keep this on the outside, use that teep, use that jab. If it hits the mat, attack off his back. But if not, try to get on top. And I think if he puts Junior in a bad spot, in a really bad spot, you might not see Junior fight out of it. So I'm going to go with Maurice Green here for the victory. Next up in the strawweight division, we got Emily Whitmire. She's four and two. And Amanda Rebos is six and one. Currently, they got Emily Whitmire minus 170. The comeback on Amanda Rebos is plus 150. Well, Shaka, obviously, you know you know the deal with both of these. Emily Whitmire on the two-fight win streak just finished Albu in under a minute. And with Amanda Rebos, she got suspended by USADA for about two years, was knocked out by Pollyanna Vienna in the first round. But now she's making her comeback, making her UFC debut. Do you think she has what it takes to stop the streaking Emily Whitmire? Yeah, you know, this is a, it's a tough fight because... Uh... Rebus, you know, got the USADA suspension two years ago, hasn't fought in three years, and she did get knocked out by Pollyanna Viana, who's a complete fraud. And but but Pollyanna Viana knocked out that mugger. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know my head. You know my head. I've been told you that. Like, come on, now, bro. Ain't no way Pollyanna can inflict that type of damage. You saw the Rebus fight? Shit, bro. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, Whitmire, you know, she's got a a, a decent skill set. You know. There is a chance uh, people are overrating where she's at, you know. She, but she's got a, a good takedown game. She definitely knows what to do on that mat. Her last two fights, she got takedowns and exploded her opponents on the mat. And uh, Reboss, man, it's just she's kind of a mystery because you can watch these little videos on her Instagram. It, it, it kind of does look like possibly there's a chance she's a a little more competent in the stand up. You know, she is Brazilian. She definitely she trains at ATT. She comes from a fighting family. Like she, uh, she might be. Like but you know i gotta go with whitmire she's shown me she's shown me much more as of recently it seems like she's improving fight to fight it seems like her confidence level is improving fight to fight you know her losses have only come to respectable people and uh roxanne on tough and who's top five and uh jillian you know who's somewhat of a, a submission specialist so you know i think whitmire is probably gonna come out here maybe get tagged a little bit but eventually start to work the, these takedowns and make the brazilian get a little tired you know 
make her fill that layoff and, and get a decision win. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Emily Whitmire as well. Obviously, you gotta take into consideration the momentum and the confidence that she has coming into this matchup. Two straight wins inside the octagon, a unanimous decision win followed by a first round submission, and her only loss was to Jillian Robertson, like you said. Turned out to be kind of a submission specialist for that division, and with Rebos. You know, getting knocked out by Pollyanna Vienna in the first round, that's very alarming, man. Because Pollyanna Vienna, you know, most of her wins, she's going out there and submitting these girls, maybe winning a, maybe eking out a split decision type thing. But to get knocked out by her in the first round, that tells me everything I need to know about Amanda Rebus. Now, the, the one caveat is that she's been out three years. So has she developed into a brand new fighter in those three years? That's what we don't know. Or has she just been battling USADA this, this entire time? We really don't know. So... That being said, I'm going to take Emily Whitmire because based on the last version of Reboss we've seen, you know, Whitmire, I'd say that her weakness is in the stand-up, and I don't think Amanda possesses what it takes to challenge her there, and then you take it to the mat, and I don't see Amanda Reboss having, you know, the same kind of jujitsu as a, a specialist like Jillian Robertson, so therefore, I do think uh, Emily has the edge here, but for a 4-2 and two fighter who has had questionable moments in the past, I'm not willing to lay that chop, but you, you give me pick em price, and, and I'm going uh, Emily Whitmire. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got... Dolce Champion, he's 9-1, and one, and Daquan Townsend is 21-8. and eight. Currently, they got Dolce Champion, minus 275. The comeback on Daquan Townsend is plus 250. Well, Shaq, you got the African champ champ, Dolce. He was the heavyweight champ and the light heavyweight champ over in EFC, taking on Daquan Townsend, who literally got the call on a week short notice, filling in for Justin Ledette. Do you think Daquan Townsend can take this fight off the couch and come in here and beat uh, the African champ champ? Yeah, you know, I think this is a, a prime spot for Dasha to come in here and get his uh, a win in his UFC debut. You know, his initial fight with Ledette was uh, definitely going to be a little more challenging. Ledette's got three octagon wins and was coming off two fights against the two top prospects at 205 pounds. So, you know, it was going to be a step down in competition for Ledette. But now that this guy, uh, Ledette's out, and now they're bringing in Townshend, a guy who, you know, is somewhat of a journeyman, definitely an exciting fighter. Uh, it seems like a tough guy. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad that, you know, he made it to the UFC. But he really, if Ledette didn't get injured, he wouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? So, and the fact that, you know, he's probably not any in a, anywhere as good a shape as Dolce is. You know, Dolce's been off for a year, getting a lot better. Uh, you know, priming for this opportunity, this UFC debut, and I feel like he, he got a lesser opponent. You know, Daquan Townshend's a guy that his takedown defense is not the best, and you know he's never been knocked out before. But also, he's never been his uh, his chin's never been tested like how he's gonna get tested against Dacha. You know, Dacha's a guy that he's got very good athletic tools with the the explosion, the explosion on his takedowns. This guy uh, has a very fast shot, will lift guys up, slam them, and he's got a good right hand. We've seen him get vicious stiff knockouts in the past, and he's a good round winner too, man. He He's got two belts in EFC, and, you know, he fought guys that were bigger than him. Times where he's been in trouble, he had to switch up the game plan, make an adjustment, and, you know, either get takedowns or, you know, use calf kicks. The guy knows how to how to think on the fly for a very, you know, muscular uh, guy. But, you know, his weakness moving down the line is probably going to be his cardio when he fights better guys. But in this particular case, this guy, Daquan Couchin, is probably not going to be in tip-top shape for this opportunity. And, he, and, you know, he might fight spirited early, but if he wants to do that, he might get caught. But uh, if he if this fight extends, I feel like it's going to favor Dolce, the size, and uh, just the power is going to be too much for Daquan. So I'm going to go with Dolce by, by a second-round knockout. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point about how Dolce had a much tougher opponent on paper in Justin Ledette because, I mean, look, Ledette, 
obviously coming off those losses to Walker and Rakic, but those are the two top prospects at 205. This is a big step down in competition. So Dalcha is probably going to come out here and get a UFC win. Look, Dalcha is a guy that is super naturally explosive. And you watch some of his earlier fights, and it wasn't even much skill involved. The guy was just would just run over guys with his raw power and athleticism. But now that he's really taken his time and started to put it all together, he's risen up, become a champ champ down there in South Africa, won the 205 belt, the heavyweight belt. And, man, the guy's overcome adversity in his fights before. He had this one with Stuart Austin where, you know, you can sit here and tell me that it could have gotten stopped in the first round. It could have, but it didn't. And then he goes out there and stops Stuart Austin in the second round. And, I mean, Stuart Austin, look, that's a guy that was in there with Johnny Walker as well. So I just feel like the level of competition these guys are fighting is completely different, whereas Daquan Townsend, so his last fight, he fought a 40-year-old with a 7-9 record. He finished him in the first round, as you're supposed to. The fight before that... He fought Portland Pringle. Like, listen, guys, you know how I make these jokes about the NFC. Uh, you know, this guy wouldn't even be NFC champ, this and that. Portland Pringle was in the NFC. I called his fight. And uh, I can just tell you right now, Portland Pringle was brought in to lose to Doug Usher. Well, Daquan's going to split decisions with Portland Pringle. And honestly, he should have lost that fight, but it was in his hometown. You know, he got laid on for three straight rounds and they raised his arm the winner. You know how it goes with those hometown decisions. But bottom line... Daquan has no takedown defense, so I really think that Dolce can mix it up on the feet. I think that as soon as he wants to put him on the mat, he can pick him up and slam him. And if this goes the distance, I think that he will have the better cardio in this spot. Now, moving forward, he's going to have to tighten some things up. He's going to have to, you know, maybe train over here in the States for a little bit. But right now, I do think that the man known as the Wakanda Warrior is going to come in here and get a big win in his UFC debut. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jared Flash Gordon. He's 14-3. and three, And Dan, the hitman Murray is 13 and 5. Currently, they got Jared Gordon minus 325. The comeback on Dan Moret is plus 265. Well, Shaq, are you kind of surprised they have a guy coming off two vicious, brutal, back-to-back -back stiffening KOs minus 325 here in this spot? That's a very good question, but those two guys that he lost to are 100 times better than Dan Moret. So, you know, this is a step down in competition for Gordon. Just put it this way. If you put Moret in there against little BJJ and... Uh, Carlos Diego Ferrer, there's a good chance they have to bring a stretcher into the octagon. Or the smelling salt's kind of similar to the Gilbert Burns fight, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, Moret's a very tough guy. It seems like he just likes to tie guys up and take the back and, and you know, try, try to hug guys. Gordon's just, I don't think he's that type of guy. He's got very good takedowns. He's got a very good ground game. I mean, he actually took Neto down and stayed in his guard for a little while, which is something I've never seen anyone else do to Neto because Neto's takedown, his get-up game is absolutely disgusting for the most part so you know i was actually surprised in that area but minus 325 might be a little steep but i ultimately do think gordon's just a better fighter in every aspect of the game Moret might fight tough he's got a lot of heart but you know i question his durability and you know i just think that his offense really isn't effective enough and i don't think jared gordon's takedown defense is bad so i gotta go with jared gordon probably by a 30 27 uh, unanimous decision yeah look i question both guys uh durability both guys confidence coming into this fight look both guys backs are up against the wall they desperately need this win loser is going home and that's a fact i just think that jared gordon can probably push a little harder for the three round duration that's gonna be the difference here with dan moret i mean he couldn't push past the second round with alex white and that was kind of alarming and i know jared gordon's been having some cardio issues too you saw that hot crown fight got pretty ugly there you saw the netto bjj fight obviously and it's gonna be interesting to see if uh dan moret can use his length tie up a guy like jared gordon make him work drag him to the mat but the thing is then he's gonna have to deal with 
Apparently, Jared Gordon's a, a Henzo Gracie black belt. I just found out, so he's going to have to deal with that on the mat. But Dan Moret has tapped out uh, teammates of Jared Gordon before. You know, he finished uh, Jordan Griffin in the first round with a rear naked choke. So I'm not counting him out here, man, because I don't know what kind of confidence Jared has coming into this fight. You know, those two vicious stiffenings. Yeah, that would have happened to Dan Moret too, but it did happen to, to Jared Gordon. So I don't trust him at all at this price, man. But I still think he's the more skilled guy, so... I'll take him by default. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Jordan Griffin. He's 17 and 6, and Vince Murdoch is 12 and 3. Currently, they got Jordan Griffin minus 400. The comeback on Vince Murdoch is plus 325. Well, Shaq, you got another last minute replacement here in Vince Murdoch taking this fight on, what, two weeks short notice, filling in for Chas Skelly. So, man, uh, he's coming from. He trains at Alpha Male in California, but he's, most of his fights have been on that Indian regional scene. Against two and two guys, three and three guys. Now he gets to fight in the UFC against Jordan Griffin. How do you see it going down? Murdoch seems like a like a lesser version of Cody Garbrandt. You know, they look alike and they they fight very similar. Mostly hands, not many kicks. A little chinny, <laughs> a little stiff. Seems like they need back surgery. Um, you know, so seems like he's a, a Cody a version of Cody Garbrandt. And Griffin, you know, he's a very scrappy guy. His his uh, defensive grappling, you know, I don't want to say it's a a weakness when he's fighting guys like Ige, etc. Guys on that level, that is going to be his issue. You know, the takedown defense is something that he struggles with. Now Vince Murdoch, he's coming in taking this fight on short notice, so we know that Griffin's probably going to be in better shape than him. Considering he had a fight with Skelly booked you know a couple months ago and uh Murdoch just seems like he's a basic uh a basic brawler but just a guy that looks for knockouts you know um like I said this guy doesn't really mix it up too much seems like a tough guy I will say he probably has better hands than Griffin but better hands for three rounds uh, I don't know maybe better hands for a couple minutes but as the fight progresses and as the as the conditioning sinks in I could see Griffin taking over this fight with his volume and his tenacity and his pace and he's a very long guy he throws punches at weird angles he's even scrappy on the mat too if he has a lesser guy in there with him so I think he's gonna come out here might be a little slow to start off just because you do have to respect Murdoch's hands to an extent but uh I think Griffin's gonna win this fight probably finish him in the third round by submission or TKO and uh, finally get his first UFC win. I just think he's going to be in a lot better shape than uh, Vince Murdoch. Yeah, you got obviously the kind of shape that they're in because one guy had a full camp, one guy's taking it off the couch, but more than that, I just think that Jordan Griffin is a much more experienced and skilled guy than Vince Murdoch and not only that, the level of competition he's been fighting, it's not even close. I mean, one guy was just in there three rounds with Dan Ige, the other guy, uh, let, let me tell you the exact opponent he fought in his last fight. Just so you guys know. His last fight, he fought uh, Justin King, who is 7-6. and six. You understand what I'm saying? Prior to that, he fought Vikas Dakia, who's 3-2. and two. Prior to that, my boy Krishan Rawat, who's 2-2. Two and two. You see what I'm, You see the trend here? He's fighting a bunch of 500 fighters that have no business uh, anywhere near the UFC. And Jordan Griffin's out here fighting Dan Ige. Fight prior to that was on Contender Series. So it's just a big difference in the level of competition. And in the skill set, and in the confidence, and in the preparation. So, with that being said, man, I think that Jordan Griffin's going to be elusive like he is. Dart in from weird angles with those long punches. 
His one weakness would be his takedown defense, but he said that he's not going to go for the guillotines as much this time. Now he's going to focus on defending those takedowns, keeping the fight standing, and showing off his bread and butter, man. So I think uh, the Rufus Sport product is going to come out here with his first UFC win. I got Jordan Griffin. Now next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Vinicius Morea. He's 9-2, and two, and Eric, your boy, Anders, is 11-4. Currently, they got Eric Anders, minus 355. The comeback on Vinicius Mamuch Morera is plus 295. Well, Shaq, uh, once again, uh, you got Eric Anders north of 3-1, uh, to one, almost 4-1 to one here. You think the underdog, Vinicius, is worth a look? Eric Anders is a, is a big favorite in this fight, and it's mainly due to because Vinicius is a, is a punching bag that uh, gets tagged with every punch. And I feel like uh, that's not the way to necessarily look at this fight because Vinicius, I would consider him more of a specialist. I would consider him a guy that, you know, if you're not on point in the early rounds or if you don't know how to stay composed throughout the 15 minutes or if uh, your takedown defense is a little suspect, he might submit you in the first round. You just have to uh, be on your P's and Q's. Guys like Alonzo Menafil with devastation in their hands that can take him out with one punch. And, and to be honest, I don't want to say it was an early stoppage, but Mamuch was still working back up to his feet. Like, he wasn't he wasn't uh, unconscious at all. Like, he was just, he was like, wait. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, I feel like Eric Anders doesn't possess that type of devastation in his hands. Eric's actually more of a grinder, a guy that gets better as the fight goes on. And I, and I would consider Eric a slow starter. So I, I do think the line should be a little closer. You know, I have seen Eric get taken down by a lot, by guys a lot lighter than, uh, Mamouch like Tim Williams a couple times. Yeah, Maluko, guys that are way lighter than Mamouch. So if Mamouch can come out here and capitalize on a slow starter like Eric Anders, you know, he's lost the first round in a lot of his fights. He's a guy that gets better as the fight progresses. I feel like, you know, plus 300, I mean, the, for how line the wide is, you know, it kind of matches uh, Vinicius's path to victory. He has to get on top of him and, and, and capitalize on Eric, crush his confidence right away, put him in another losing type of situation. If the fight moves, uh, progresses on, Eric, you know, he does have a, a, a grueling style. This guy is very tough. He is very durable. You know, he, he will take his ass whooping like a man. But Vinicius isn't really going to dish out no ass whooping. You know, Vinicius is a guy that, you know, I kind of compare him to Ryan James in a sense because he's a guy, he's like a scarecrow. Like, you might use all your energy trying to knock him out just like the guy he fought on contender series and the next thing you know you're really tired and the next thing you know he's on top of you smashing your head and getting a rear naked choke or an arm bar the line is too wide i definitely can't trust eric at this price personally i wouldn't bet venetius just because he takes too much damage to win a decision so if he does not get rid of eric out uh with that submission he's probably gonna lose but, uh, you know, I feel like it should be closer to the opener, even a little less. But I'm going to pick Eric by decision. I just don't trust him at that line. Yeah, I don't trust him at the line either. just feel like I'd rather sit back and, and watch this fight unfold, man. Because with Vinicius Moreira, yeah, like you said, if you start to get sloppy in there, you start to get a little tired, then he'll capitalize. He'll take a limb home, maybe even your neck. But Eric Anders doesn't really have a neck to choke, man. I mean, the way he's built, it's going to be kind of hard to submit a guy like that, in my opinion at least. And I kind of feel like people are overrating uh, Vinicius' jiu-jitsu a little bit. Yeah, don't get me wrong. He's a legit black belt for sure. But people are kind of acting like, you know, this guy is like Davi Ramos level or, or something like that. Like this this fight hits the mat one time. It will be over shortly after. And I, I just disagree, man. I don't think that that will be the case at all. I think the only way he wins by submission is if Eric is gassed to a point where... There's no choice but to but to give up uh you know to give up that tap but I don't see that happening man I kind of feel like Vinicius is kind of is going to kind of run into a brick wall on this spot 
maybe come out hard in that first round because I know he likes to brawl. I know he's scrappy, and I know Eric's a slow starter. Eric kind of doesn't throw as much as he should, but by that second or third round, I do think that the momentum's going to start to swing in Eric's favor, and I can see him also getting a decision here, maybe maybe even a late TKO. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Ricardo Ramos. He's 12-2, and two, and Journey Newsom is 9-1. and one. Currently, they got Ricardo Ramos minus 335. The comeback on Journey Newsom is plus 275. Shaq, once again, another another short notice replacement. This time, Journey Newsom is stepping up for Sergio Pettis. Sergio versus Ricardo would have been a great fight, but I'll tell you what, this kid, Journey Newsom, 9-1, worked his way up. We've seen him knock people out. We've seen him go the distance. Do you think he has what it is? We've seen him knock a couple of bums out. Look, Journey Newsom is a mystery. I mean, he's taking the fight on short notice. I hear some people say he's good. I see some, you know, it's just, how, how do you know? He's only, he's only got... His two first two pro fights online. You've seen a couple clips of him knocking probably a guy that Ricardo would knock out <laughs> in two seconds as well. You know, so uh, it's really tough to say. I gotta go with Ricardo here. He had the full camp, kind of similar to the 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 Griffin and the Murdoch situations and the Dalcha and the Townsend situations. I think Journey Newsom will probably go on to win a UFC fight down the line. I wouldn't write Ricardo off just yet because of that one loss to Saeed. I know he has had some uh, questionable moments in his wins as well, but at the same time, this kid got into the UFC at a very young age. He's still learning like you know and I, I know he uh he, he tends to quit in those third rounds every time but he's a very young kid i still think he's very talented in the in the jujitsu and the scrambles and if you're not on point especially in comparison to those three guys he fought now i know tanaka's a fraud but tanaka beat joe soto at one point you know what i'm saying uh and then you know kyung ho kang a, a respectable bantamweight and zahabi in which he ended his life so you know uh, i feel like ricardo's gonna come out here and, and either win by decision or submission you know it, it uh this is a step down in competition for Ramos. And, you know, interestingly enough, I actually liked Ricardo Ramos as an underdog versus Sergio Pettis. I thought that was a very favorable matchup for him. I was willing to take that shot, but now that that got canceled, I kind of like him as a favorite here versus Journey Newsome, but am I willing to bet it? That's a different story. Go to bestfightpicks.com to find out, but Honestly, though, I, I just feel like Ricardo Ramos is the longer guy, the more experienced guy, and I think he's got something to prove here, man. Journey Newsome, I like the guy. You know, he's uh, he's a he's a little uh, spark plug, man. He's a little short, five foot five guy, throws big bombs. He's a lot of fun to watch. I think he'd have a lot more success at flyweight, but, you know, taking this on short notice up a weight class. I mean, I know a lot of his fights have been at bantamweight, but in the UFC, this guy would be a flyweight between you and me, but... Here, I think there's a good spot for Ricardo to come in here and start to patch up some of the holes in his game, man. Just because he lost to Saeed Nurmagomedov don't mean it's over. Saeed is very legit, guys. So I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against Ricardo Ramos at all, man. I think that there's a good spot for him to go out here and test those new parts of his game, try to show off his stand-up, take it to the mat, show that jujitsu if this gets extended. Try to try to improve that cardio, man, because that's been the weakness in the past. So I think Ricardo comes out here and I think he gets it done. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Paul the Bear Jew Craig. He's 11-3, and, and Alonzo Menafield is 8-0. Currently, they got Alonzo Menafield minus 300. The comeback on Paul Craig is plus 250. Shaka, at this point, we know how to break down a Paul Craig fight. Is Paul Craig going to get his ass beat and get that third-round triangle or not? Yeah, you know, that's a very good question. He's, the, the big question in this fight is, uh, in comparison to the, the Kennedy and the Ankalaya fight, is, you know, Menafield definitely throws a de uh, devastation in comparison to those two guys. Both those guys are more of pointers. And both those guys were winning the entire fights, and they uh, they got spooked, and, you know, they, they got submitted. 
you know, I think that Menafield honestly probably isn't that good overall, but I think that he throws with so much power that the mistakes that Paul Craig makes, this is the time where he's finally going to get knocked out stiff. This guy, Menafield, former football player, he might just walk forward and commit to knocking Paul. Like, he's that type of guy. Like, he's got that type of mindset. I'm going to walk forward and just take you out. So I'm going to go with Menafield by knockout. But from a betting perspective, his dog are passed. Menafield's very young in his career. He had a good performance against uh, Mamouch, another uh, another black belt with who gets triangles and, and arm bars like that. So he's got some experience against black belts. And uh, But Paul Craig, you know, I, I respect him. He's the king of the fluke sub. But I, I got to go with Menafield by versus KO. You know, Paul Craig will always have a place on the roster because what he's known for basically when he wins he always gets a performance of the night but he's out here testing the prospects and literally in order they put him in there with tyson pedro who, who was the undefeated prospect at the time khalil roundtree magomed ankalaev jimmy crew kennedy nestruku and now alonzo menifield so literally they have the same plans for paul craig every single time test out our new prospects against paul craig see where they're really at and Last fight, Paul Craig fought Alonzo Menafield's teammate, Kennedy Neschuku, and Kennedy was winning that fight. I mean, there were some sketchy moments, but he was winning that fight up until one minute left in the fourth round, made a mistake, got caught in that triangle, and now we're, we got to see if Alonzo Menafield's going to do the same thing because, look, the reality here is that Alonzo Menafield... It's interesting to say that Paul Craig's fought tougher competition, but that's that's the truth, man. I mean, Alonzo Menafield a couple fights ago was getting taken down by guys like Daniel Jolly, and, and I'm serious about this, but... I think that is raw power, his athleticism, the camp he comes from, Fortis MMA. I think that Alonzo Menafield has a higher ceiling, and I think that he's going to be making the kind of improvements fight by fight where he can come in here in a second UFC appearance and beat a guy like Paul Craig. Just has to have the right game plan. Now, I heard a little interview with Alonzo saying that, you know, he thinks he has the best ground and pound in the 205 pound division and that this fight versus Paul Craig is it's uh, my ground and pound versus uh, your bottom game. You know, your triangles versus my my ground and pound. Now, I'm not sure if he's just talking a little shit, you know, put on a little show for the fans, get people intrigued, because I would recommend not sitting in Paul Craig's guard and trying to see if you can land punches and try to avoid his triangles. I would just make him stand up and try to bang with you. But then again, Alonzo might be talking. Fighters say a lot of things before fights. And at the end of the day, when you have a coach like Saif Sayud, you know he's telling them, Alonzo, keep this shit standing the entire time. And I think if he does that, he's going to come out here and win. He just has to do that. Now his last fight against Vinicius uh, Moreira, he did show me signs that he's able to do that. You know, Vinicius actually attacked with Paul Craig's finishing move, the triangle, and uh, Alonzo made him get back up. Now the difference is with Paul Craig, you know, he might not have the jiu-jitsu credentials of Mamucci, but... For MMA jiu-jitsu, I'd go ahead and say that he's got a better submission game than Mamucci for MMA standards. And I think that if he locks you in that triangle, it is over. Just the way this dude hips move in MMA, whatever it is, man, he gets you in that triangle. You're not getting out. But bottom line, Alonzo has to be prepared for that. Having a coach like Safe Saud with his game plan, he has to be prepared for this. So I, I think by default, he's going to come out here and avoid it, possibly knock him out. But listen, at this point, if you're willing to take a shot on Paul Craig, you know you know the deal here. Get your ass beat for a little bit and pray for the triangle. But if you don't get it, he's going to get his ass beat the entire fight and lose. I'm going to go with Alonzo Manyfield, but I would like a better price if I were to play him. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Drew Dober. He's 20-9, and nine, and Polo Reyes is 9-5. and five. Currently, they got Drew Dober minus 335. The comeback on Polo Reyes is plus 275. Well... Shaq, two of uh, the funnest brawlers in the lightweight division about to go at it. I have a feeling they're going to stand a bang until one man falls. Uh, do you feel the same way? 
Yeah, you know, it's going to be a good fight. Polar Reyes is one of these exciting uh, Mexican fighters with a lot of heart. And Drew Dober, you know, he's uh, a national Muay Thai champion. And, you know, his stand-up looked good his last fight. You know, he's got good volume, uh, very good cardio. His wrestling is getting better as well. But, you know, that jiu-jitsu of his has always been a weakness. But he doesn't have to worry about in this in, in this fight because Polar Reyes' jiu-jitsu is not very good at all. Prior to Polar Reyes' last fight, I was kind of under the speculation that the guy could be a complete fraud because, what's his record, like 8-5? and five? Uh, Nine five. You include uh, my boy Frivola's vicious KO. Oh, they didn't count that. Um, no, because he was on but you know, this supplements. Is, this is a guy that you know has been KO'd by bums in the past, like Horacio Gutierrez. You know, he struggled with bums like Jason Ovelli uh, and got real bums. <laughs> my boy Ran Weathers finished him. You know what I'm saying? Ran Weathers beat. Is that true? I'm pretty damn sure that's fucking I think true. It was bro. Gabriel beat. I lost it, Ran Weathers. Nah, Ram Weathers beat uh, Polar Reyes, bro. Click on Ram Weathers. Did he beat Gabriel? Did he beat Gabriel too? Nah, he beat Diego Brando. Oh, yeah, Diego. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this guy, Polar Reyes, there's definitely a good chance the guy's a complete fraud, you know, unless you fight him like an idiot, like Frivola, and you give him a puncher's chance, and then he might he might clip something, you know, but his fight with uh, Maestro Dung Young Kim was a great fight. But the fans and the public overrated that fight to a point where they actually thought he was a good fighter because that fight, trust me, if you put both them guys in there with anyone else, they both get knocked the fuck out very quickly. And, uh, you know, it was a great fight for the fans, but what has he been up to since? You know, he's been 500, uh, 1 and 2, actually. He's only one, he's 1 and 2 since, or oh. Two and one. <laughs> he's, oh, one and two. <laughs> he's one and two, and uh, he's out here getting uh, mounted by de- by strikers like Demir Hatsovich and getting his who head. got wrestled. It's <laughs> very nice fight. I mean, Polo had me fooled that Demir was a good fight. He, he made us. <laughs> he made us think that Demir made improvements in his ground game. So, you know, Polar Reyes, he probably is a complete fraud. You know, Jason Novelli, I mean, guys, Jason Novelli, the guy's nickname is Pepsi. You know what I'm saying? The guys that you go back and watch what Tamor did to him, and then uh, you go back and watch the, the shit show him and Polar Reyes put on down there in, in Mexico. And Polar Reyes got fully mounted by that guy, and that guy's harmless. So, if Dober fights smart, he's probably going to probably uh, gonna make Polar Reyes desperate in the striking. But, like, kind of similar to the Namir fight, you know, people were saying Polo was winning the stand up. He wasn't winning no stand-up exchanges at all and uh you know he's just he's a club fighter you know he's a he's an entertaining mexican fighter so as long as dober fights smart he should take it but at that line i don't trust dober he's a guy that he's also uh, somewhat of a stunt puller man the guy uh and i'll I'll go ahead and name those stunts uh efrain escudero stunt (laughs) um sean spencer stunt Buscape, I mean, I know he didn't tap, but that it happened. Like, why'd the ref think you were? <laughs> my my, my Buscape bet cashed. <laughs> yeah, if you bet Buscape, you won. Uh, and then you got uh, the Benil fight was a stunt too because Dober sh- should have said he didn't have, he didn't show composure for a guy with that many fights in it uh, in you know his UFC career. Uh, a better guy would have stayed composure and knocked Benil out in that spot. But Dober proved that he's not on that level once again. But you know he does have some. But when you really look at his wins, we're talking about Josh Berkman. We're talking about um, Frank Camacho. You know losing record. Uh, we're talking about John Tuck fraud, Jason Gonzalez fraud. You know he's got Jamie Varner fraud. You know Tony <laughs> Tony Sims fraud. Uh, he's, he's got one good win over Holtzman. You know, but uh, you know it could be lined high. But you gotta go with Dober. He's the more complete fighter. 
he he still is more proven than uh Polarez. Polarez is thirty four years old. Um questionable durability, questionable ground game, questionable, questionable everything. Yeah, I mean basically I view it as Drew Dober is a top fifty fighter and Polarez is a top hundred fighter. That that that's the bottom line and but the one thing that's interesting here is it could be a dog or pass situation because these two are going to stand and bang. And one thing about Polaris, we can criticize his chin, his cardio, his fight IQ, his ground game. But the dude hits very hard. And Drew Dober is going to give him that opportunity to land on his chin. And I'll tell you this, that French guy OAM dropped Drew Dober. That <laughs> that UFC washout, Efrain Escudero, finished Drew Dober in under a minute. So Sean Spencer, you guys remember that guy? The one that Yancey Madero's head kicked? He 30-27 Drew <laughs> the Dober. That, the guy that pile embarrassed in front of him. <laughs> the, the guy, guy that chinny-ass pile beat. And, uh, by knockout, <laughs> by, by the way. Dober. <laughs> so I, I'm just saying, uh, you know, don't. Don't put your life savings on Drew Dober. You know what? Fuck it, man. I'm going to go on the opposite side. This is a dog or pass situation. You can never lay over 3-1 to one on a guy like Drew Dober. I'm going to go with Polo Reyes by knockout here. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Vince Pichel. He's 11-2, and, and Roosevelt Roberts is 8-0. Currently, they got Roosevelt Roberts minus 280. The comeback on Vince Pichel is plus 240. Well, Shaq, what's interesting about this fight is that Vince Pichel, he's the vet here. He's taking on Roosevelt Roberts, who's the prospect. But, man, they're basically ranked around the same area, both around, you know, the top 60. And even though Vince Pichel is a lot older than Roosevelt Roberts, man, I'll tell you what, he kind of has a young vibe about him. I know he's 36 years old, but, man, the guy kind of seems like he still loves fighting. He's 11 years older than Roosevelt Roberts, but I know that Vince Pichel, he enjoys what he does. The question is, can one of Dana's top prospects, because you remember that list that Dana gave out publicly when he mentioned his top prospects, Roosevelt was on that list. Can Dana's top lightweight prospect, Roosevelt Roberts, come out here and beat uh, the battle-tested Vince Pichel? Roosevelt's definitely very talented. And Vince Pichel's one of these guys, like you said, he is a little older, but he's young in the sport. You know, uh, he started very late in age. And, uh, you know, he comes from that, one of the best seasons of tough out there. You know, he comes from tough if he made it to the semifinals. Had a good fight with Ally Akinta. Has a win over Neto BJJ, Neto's only pro loss. Vince Pichel did put Damian beat Don Brown in the ground in the first round. Not too many people can say that. So Vince Pichel, you know, uh, he's coming off this loss to Gregor Gillespie. You know, Gregor's now a top ten, uh, top nine guy, actually. You know, so we know that Gregor Gillespie is on a completely different level. Roosevelt's very talented. I would definitely say this is the biggest challenge of his career just because Pichel, I, I think that these guys like Thomas Gifford and... Uh, and Daryl Horcher are, you know, nice guys, but Vince Pichel brings a different type of uh, intensity to the game. And Pichel's just one of these guys where not everyone might feel the same because, you know, we really don't see him that much. He is a very inactive type of guy. But uh, I've been following the guy for a very long time. I just know that when they get in there, it's going to be... If you give Pichel a stand-up type of fight, it's going to be a brawl and it's going to be a war. He's not the type of guy to not pull the trigger or, or things like that. The thing with Roosevelt is he's very young and he's very, he's just, he, he oaks of that energy, you know, and, uh, and Pichel is older. So if Roosevelt likes, plays a smart game plan, very safe type of fight, it might frustrate a guy like Pichel into a point where he's he's at he's looking at Roosevelt like come on bro let's fight because that's what the type of fight Pichel wants that he wants big exchanges he wants it you know a chance for a knockout you know this guy's got eight knockouts and, a, and eleven wins he's gonna have to do something that no one's ever done to Roosevelt in my opinion from a betting perspective it's dog or pass just because I feel like Pichel is one of these underrated kind of badasses man he, one of these guys that if you get into an exchange with them watch out because the guy hits very hard like I said he's got a win over Neto BJJ and to be Neto BJJ you need a lot of 
composure, you know what I'm saying? Because Neto hits like a fucking truck. Watch that chair. <laughs> yeah, you need composure. And uh, Pichel, I mean, look, on the given day, he, he can have that. So from a, from a betting perspective, it's 100% dogger pass for me. Roosevelt's not tested at this level, but I think it's a reasonable step up in competition, you know. Get him a guy that's, you know, 36 years old, a little older, coming off a severe beating. Well, this is a, it, it's probably perfect timing for Roosevelt, so therefore I will go with him, but I think it's going to be a closer decision, uh, 29-28. You know, it seems like I would say the only somewhat weakness I see in Roosevelt is if you pressure him, it seems like he likes to rely on his uh, fundamental defense with his back on the fence. But, you know, certain guys you do that with, you might get knocked out. Like I said, against Gifford and Daryl Horcher, it's going to be fine. But we're going to see how he uh, responds to in this step up in competition. But uh, I'll go with Roosevelt. But from a betting perspective, it's Dogger Pass. Like, you know the deal with these undefeated prospects. Uh, it's always first L time. So if Vince wants to come out here and give uh, Roosevelt that vet lesson, it's not going to surprise me one bit. But the thing is, man... Obviously, Roosevelt's got the higher ceiling. It's just about where he's at right now. And, man, I think the kid can swim. You know, I feel like uh, he's not just some flash in the pan. You know, we saw those first-round finishes. We thought, okay, well, what happens if he gets extended? What happens if someone stands up to him? I know with Thomas Gifford, we can say what we want. But, hey, man, they went a, th a tough three rounds. And Roosevelt showed me that he can go the three-round distance, being a tough fight where... You know, he was in control for a good bit of that fight, but he had to overcome some adversity as well, fend off some submission attempts. He with Vince Pichel, it's a different story. Look, Vince uh, hits like a truck. The guy can wrestle. He's just well-rounded. He's been around the block. He's fought a lot of guys. So this is going to be a serious test. And I, I respect Vince a lot. I'm also a big fan of that Tough 15 season. You got a lot of great fighters that came out of there. Obviously, Kiesa, Vic, Pichel, Ayakinta. So... And, and Miles Jury, there are lots of guys that are still in the UFC came from that season of the Ultimate Fighter. Even guys that didn't make the house, uh, you know, ha have have had success in the UFC. Guys like uh, Drew Dober, for example, right? Shaq didn't he uh, lose on the trial to that season? Dober, yeah, Crook, yeah, exactly. Even John Tuck, he got his ass Tuck, beat by Alec Hinta, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, what's up, Rockstar? What's up, guys? Cecilia. I definitely think that Vince Pichel has been pretty damn battle tested, and here with Roosevelt Roberts. It could be first L time, but I just think the length and the funkiness of this kid, Roosevelt Roberts, is going to be the difference here, man. I think that he brings something a little bit different to the table. The way he locked in that guillotine choke on Daryl Horcher, man, we haven't seen shit like that too often, man. The angle he had him at, uh, dude had to try to climb out the cage to, to try to get out of that, and obviously he couldn't. My boy, uh, Devin Powell almost choked Horcher out, too. <laughs> you know, and, and that's just facts. <laughs> I mean, Horcher likes to leave his neck in there, bro. Look, I've been impressed with the guy, and his contender series fight was good too but this is the biggest step up of his career let's see if he's up for the test man i'm definitely not laying that price good luck to those who are it is a dogger pass situation i know some sharps are on vince pachel so i can't wait to see uh, how this one plays out in the lightweight division now this one this is going to be very interesting because next up in the welterweight division we got damian maya he's 26 and 9 and anthony rocco martin formerly known as tony martin is 16 and 4 Currently, they got Damian Maya minus 185. The comeback on Anthony Rocco Martin is plus 160. Well, can we stop with this Anthony Rocco charade already? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The question here I mean, is my boy Tony Martin about to get backpacked for three straight? Maybe even uh, Mataleo rear naked choked? Or do you think this is going to be a guy? Look, I know he's not going to come out here with the Colby or Kamaru game plan. He doesn't have that style. But a striker has beat uh, Maya before. His name is Rory McDonald. Do you think. 
and Marquardt back in the day. <laughs> you remember that vicious knockout? The question here is, can Anthony Rocco Martin recreate that success? Yeah, man, this is a very intriguing matchup because, like you said, Damian Maya, his only losses are to championship-level fighters, and that's just facts. I mean, Nate Marquardt, you know, even though he never touched, he's a former strike force champion. Strike force. Uh, and and Pancras. You know then we talk about uh, Rory McDonald, former Bellator champion. Current, uh, Bellator. current Bellator champion. Yeah. Until he fights Douglas Until again. Until he fights Douglas in a couple, uh, a couple months. But, uh, and we're talking about uh, Tyron Woodley, former champion. We're talking about Kamaru uh, Usman, current world champion, and Colby Covington, former interim champion. You know, so, uh, he only loses to to uh, Chris Weidman, former champion. Jakey Shields. Jake Shields, former, former champion. champion. So the facts say that Damian Maya only loses the championship-level fighters. Rocco Martin has definitely never accomplished anything like that. But one thing Rocco Martin definitely has going for him is talent, man. The guy is definitely very talented. He's got a very good presence about him. He's also a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Now, when we look at his history against black belts, it's, it's definitely a little shaky. You know, uh, a lot of, a lot of the, Benil tapped him out with the arm triangle and yeah. you know made him quit. Leo embarrassed him in Brazil when he got tapped out. Um, OAM. OAM and that ain't no black belt. Uh, OAM out grappled him and took him down for two rounds. And uh, but he also has so, submitted one. He, he submitted Fabricio Camoes, who always gets tapped out for some reason. <laughs> hey, my, my boy Fabricio Camoes lasted twenty five minutes in a bare knuckle fight with Anderson Silva. And uh, he beat Felipe Oliveri, who's a black belt. Uh, he beat Sergio Moraes, who's a, a, a legitimate, a serious black belt. A guy that beat Kron Gracie in uh, jujitsu. So you know his uh, history against black belts a little fifty fifty ish. But Damian Maya definitely trumps all those guys in terms of just the control. Damian Maya, the thing is with him is at the current line, it is minus 185. How old is Damian Maya? 36, 37? Uh, no, like more like 40. 40? Okay, so. Um, I think he's 43, honestly. Let's, yeah, 40, let, 40, let, 40. let's check how old this motherfucker is. He's like just turned 40, maybe. 40, 41. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker's 41. Never mind, he is 40. <laughs> I was thinking he was like 38, maybe. But yeah, Damian Maya is 41 years old. And, you know, when I look at Damian Maya, like I said last week about John Lineker, who ended up pulling out of the fight with Robbie Funk, you know, when you really look at. Let me ask you something. How the fuck do you get a cut the, for, on your forehead the day of, of the. It's, it's what happens when you're done. <laughs> like, do you think he made that up? Like, it's John Lineker. You know, he pulled out of that Rob Font fight the day before, what? and he said he had a cut over his forehead. Like the weight cutting day, he had, he said he had a cut over his forehead. He must have fell. He must have uh, pushed a Brazilian stunt. <laughs> you know, Damian Maya is forty-one years old, and when I look at his stock, you know, I know he's coming off a submission win, but at one point, Damian Maya, in comparison to Lineker, was number one in the world, number two in the world. You know. Coming out uh, the fight with Woodley, but now guess where his ranking is? Number eleven. Who Maya? Yeah. Holy shit. Number twelve. Like go to. Are you fucking serious? Thirteen are you? God damn. The UFC ranking is like my number twelve. Boy, my boy Maya's. Oh, he's fell down that far. Holy shit. Yeah, bro, he's dropped like ten spots. Damn. He's not even top ten no more. Yeah. Holy Damian, shit. Da Damian Maya is no. Wait, you're telling me Anthony Pettis and and Darren Till are ranked ahead of Damian Maya? Pettis knocked that Wonder Boy. Who? Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, fine. He beat George and Whitaker. You're right. That is not that Wonder Boy. Um, until knocked out Cowboy. And he beat Wonder Boy. Uh, the only thing until knocked out was a taxi driver in uh, Firstly, Spain. 
Darren Till's a complete fraud. But yeah, like I was saying, da Damian Maya's stock is dropping. He's not the same guy he once was. And I understand the idea that, you know, when he's not fighting the Colbys, the Usmans, the Woodleys, that most likely he's going to get a submission. And that could very well be the case here. But from a betting perspective, long term, even though this ain't long term, I just don't think that's the way to approach a fight like this. I, I think that at this stage in Damian's career, you got to start seeing which one of these up-and-comers is going to start taking him out because, you know, he's not going to hover around the title. Well, he's not in the title picture no more. So, fucking, he's going to start, at 41 years old, these young cats are going to start coming in here and taking him out at some point. It's just a matter of, can Tony Martin keep that focus for 15 minutes? Because, you know, when you fight Damian Maia, you got to fight a super disciplined fight. And, you know, we, we know he can't stuff the takedown straight up like Kobe and Usman can. The thing is, if he somehow gets Damien to use all that energy on top of him in the first round, can he come back in that second and third and start landing that straight right hand? Because I'll tell you what, Tony's got a Calvinist straight, uh, Calvinist type straight right hand. You know, it's very straight and it's very accurate. And if one of those twos land on Damien's old forty-one-year-old ass, fucking, don't be surprised if he starts uh, pulling stunts and flopping to his back. And once that happens, we know it's only a matter of time before Damien starts looking like a mummy with blood all over his face and uh he's probably gonna get knocked out at that point because i just don't know how much more ass opens the guy can take i mean <laughs> you know what i'm saying i know he's coming off a nice little win over lyman good the guy's only two wins over are against fucking andrew craig and saunders like you know what i'm saying <laughs> that guy's a complete joke so like i definitely rate rocco martin above that guy but you know i hear rocco martin's got a lot of shit going on right now i hear rocco Ma i hear rocco martin's <laughs> got a lot of shit going on right now and you know i'm not gonna put him on blast but i just hear his his, his personal life is in a, in a little bit of turmoil right now you know um is it a good time you know at least i will say this is a spot where the bookies are not or the public ain't overvaluing him generally in spots like this you get the prospect is a little overvalued and they got him as a pick him and then the uh the guy that's uh counted out comes in here and gets the win but at least tony's a, a decent sized underdog so you know if you guys play tony man i definitely understand i don't know how much this uh 41 year old guy can hover around in these rankings especially with the guys coming up at 170s the the rocco martins the ponzas the, Le the leons the you know Even uh, Bilal's not the, right. yeah you know i mean you guys got Jeff, Jeff Neal and Nico and these motherfuckers that ain't even ranked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Eliza. Definitely think there's a chance they may might gets knocked out here. But when I look at the grappling, like, yeah, whenever anyone shoots in on Tony on a single, he likes to attack with Kimura's. But I'm not going to say that that's what he's going to do here, you know. <laughs> I'm sure he's got to make an adjustment and know, like, all right, look, I can't play with the Kamaras. I can't play with the Darces. Like, I just got to keep it on the feet. And that's what he said he's going to do. But I'm going to pick Damien just because... You know, if he gets a first-round submission, it will it will definitely make sense. I mean, other black belts have definitely tapped this guy out. But at the same time, betting perspective, it's definitely 100% dog or pass. Personally, I just don't think uh, playing chalk minus 180 on a 41-year-old deteriorating fighter like Damian Maia is a good idea. But I will pick him just because, I mean, I definitely see the, the, the hole for the takedown. I mean, Tony Martin puts a lot of le uh, weight on that front leg. You know, the single attempt is definitely there. But we'll see what happens. You know, I'll, I'll pick Damian. But if I was going to play this fight, I'd definitely have to beat Tony. Like you said, man, uh, which one of these prospects is going to come out here and take Damian's spot in the rankings and join the top 15? That's obviously what Rocco Martin is looking to do. It's just a question of if he can fend off what many people prior have not been able to fend off for years. And unless you have serious wrestling credentials or a black belt in jiu-jitsu like Tony is, it's going to be pretty tough to fend off a guy like Damian Maya because his level, I mean... Basically, it's not just about jiu-jitsu, man. It's about his jiu-jitsu for MMA, and his control in there is second to none. 
I mean, as soon as soon as he takes your back, that round's over, and he can submit some guys. I don't think he's gonna strangle Rocco Martin, man. I think that Rocco can survive, can tuck that chin, can fight the hands, but I don't think he he can shake him off his back. So basically, when Maya takes his back in that first round, basically, if you're betting on on Tony, hope to start the next round and then uh, hope to have a fresh start. Basically, that's that's how it's gonna have to go because as soon as he takes that back, that round is over. You got to start again the next one. So. Hopefully, for your sake, in that second and third round, you have that walking mummy version of Damian Maya. Then the takedowns start coming from a mile out. Then you're able to sprawl on them. And from there, that's when Rocco Martin can start to add up some of the damage. The thing is, I don't see that happening up until maybe the third round. And by then, it might be too late unless he can go out there and get a finish. So I do think the numbers could, though. I mean, you're getting plus 175 on a guy like Rocco Martin. I do understand this is betting. It is about the number first. But as a pure pick, I will also go with Damian Maya. I do think that he can win two of these three rounds. But much respect if, uh, if Rocco can rise to the occasion, man, because it's always cool seeing these young up-and-comers uh, replace uh, the old veterans that have been taking up the rankings for like the last uh, decade or, or more. So I'm going to be rooting for Martin as much as I like Maya, but my pick is Maya here. Co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division. We got Juicier Formiga. He's 23-5. and five, And Joseph Benavidez is 27 and 5. Well, Shaq, this is a rematch. Obviously, you remember the first time they fought, Joseph Benavidez needed less than five minutes to go out there and knock Juicier Formiga out. Now, since that point, Juicier has risen up. Now he's the number two flyweight on planet Earth. I mean, he's really rounded out his game. Joseph Benavidez, he's one of these guys where he's, he's cleared out the division to the point where now he's rematching these guys that he already beat once, like Dustin Ortiz. Now he's rematching Juicier Formiga. Is Joseph Benavidez going to keep that perennial number one spot or not? Definitely has cleaned out the division. Um, I mean, has he, though? Besides Demetrius, who no longer... They ever fight again. He lost to Sergio, so he ain't cleaned out shit. Um, <laughs> fucking, and he beat Ortiz. Like, He's oh. coming off of his... He beat, <laughs> beat Cejudo, too. Did beat Cejudo. My boy Cejudo fought emotional that night. Joe B got in his head. Props to him. You know, uh, he, he talked that shit to him, and... And Cejudo fought with emotion, and he uh, weaseled him out for the victory. No, I feel like Formiga's definitely evolved since the last, evolved a little bit more since the last time they fought. Benavidez definitely has a little bit more activity rate, considering Formiga only throws, you know, only lands about one and a half strikes per minute, and he's more of a backpacker. It's really gonna come down to how the scrambles go. They're kind of even though, you know. I feel like. You know, Formiga definitely, I mean, Formiga's been on a, on a little run. You know, he lost to Borg, and ever since that, since he came to uh, ATT, he's uh, definitely been doing his thing, you know, with his wins over Sergio. And the, and, and the thing is with these wins is they're, they've been dominant wins, you know, with Sasaki, finish, Ben 10, finish, Pettis, 30-27, Dice to Geha, I think it was a 30-27 as well. He'll be, he's more of a guy that's going to, you know, he could be in there with a Makovsky, an Ortiz, a Sergio, and, you know, and it's going to be a close close fight um he did finish alex perez very badly benavidez has good activity definitely could win a decision here but i'm actually going for Miga. you know i feel like benavidez is gonna have a little of an off night for is gonna be do a lot better in the scrambles than people think so i'm, I'm gonna go with for i definitely think Formiga is gonna do way better than he did the first fight i don't think Formiga is gonna come out here and get knocked out in the first round i just think that he's made such big improvements in his stand-up that he's caught up to the point where you can hang with joseph benavidez for the three-round duration, but the first thing you said, 
is the reason I'm going to pick Joseph Benavides here, and that's that Joseph lands way more than Formiga, almost twice as much, man. And for that reason, where I think the fight's pretty even everywhere else, I just see Joseph Benavides simply outpointing Juicy Formiga. So it's not going to be a first-round knockout. This time, I think Joseph Benavides goes out there, takes the decision, and my boy Joe B will still be winning at life, if you know what I mean. Main event of the evening, Junior Cigano Dos Santos. He's 21-5, and five, and Francis Ngannou is 13 and 3. Currently, they got Francis Ngannou minus 240. The comeback on Junior Cigano Dos Santos is plus 200. Well, Shaq, ever since Francis Ngannou took that L to the Black Beast, he needed less than 30 seconds to starch both Curtis Blades and Kane Velasquez. And Junior Dos Santos, I mean, I'll tell you what, the guy's on a win streak now, three fights in a row, just beat the Black Beast who beat Francis Ngannou. With both guys having such big momentum coming into this main event, who do you think takes the next step towards the title shot? Francis Ngannou had to take those two L's to uh, really move on as a, as a fighter. And I feel like every fighter at some point, especially in the UFC, has to go, has to, uh, go on. I mean, when, when I look at every fighter on this card... I mean, just about all of them have been embarrassed on national TV, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Except uh, Roosevelt. Uh, so far. So, and his is coming at some point. Uh, Menafield and his is coming at some point. Um, you know, so Francis, you know, like I said earlier in the show, he got too cocky. He had to, uh, like I said, he was going to France, partying a couple weeks before his fight. He pulls that stun in there against Stipe Miocic, who, let's just go ahead and say Francis ruined Stipe's chin in that fight. Um, Stipe came back and got knocked the fuck out in his, in his you next You can say that. Yeah, so, you know, uh, I, I wish Stipe the best of luck in this fight with Cormier. I, I can't wait. But, uh, you know, I feel like if Francis is focused, I truly believe that. I don't want to say nobody can beat him at, at heavyweight or 205. But I think that if Francis is truly focused and is truly in shape and his head is in the game, I think he's borderline unstoppable. You know, I think that if this guy hits him on the chin, I just think that, <laughs> you know, you know, the Stipe fight was a, was a rush. You know, it was a, I want to get this guy out of here in, in 30 seconds. And it was a five-round fight, and he completely blew his energy load. And then the Lewis fight, he, he, that, that fight trickled into the Lewis fight. His confidence wasn't there. He, he didn't even throw. You know, I, I know Lewis won that, but I don't even consider that Lewis beating him. I consider that Francis beating himself, you know. And then the the Blades fight and the the, the Cain Velasquez fight was nothing short of a spectacular there, man. So I think it's going to continue in here. You know, I really don't think JDS is as back as people think. You know, I feel like he, I don't want to say he's a beneficiary, but, you know, that was Bogoy Ivanov's USC debut. Tied to Vivas is a complete fraud, like I, t <laughs> like I told you a couple weeks ago. And Black Beast, you know, Black Beast is a nice guy. We love his, uh, his comeback wins, but... You can't pull off these comeback wins all the time, man. You know, those comeback fighters have uh, very short shell lives. And Black Beast, unfortunately, is one of them. You know, Black Beast is a guy where long-term, long-term, I honestly don't see it uh, working out. You know, at least I don't think he'll hold that ranking that he was uh, a few months ago. But, you know, JDS uh, showed that he, he can get wobbled still, man, in those fights. And Francis is a different, a different animal. He possesses a different level of power. Let me not say different level of power, but, you know, I feel like when he's focused that this guy can capitalize on mistakes very well in comparison to those other guys, especially a lot sooner. And I think he's going to do that here with another first-round vicious KO of Junior Dos Santos. Yeah, I mean, look, Junior Cigano is arguably the more well-rounded fighter, even on the feet. 
just the way that he sets things up with his hands, you know, jabbing to the body, then mixing it up up top. He actually has a very underrated calf kick games, knocked guys out with spinning back kicks, as you saw against Mark Hunt. So, and allegedly he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, which Francis Ngannou disputed recently. He said, my boy Francis is questioning that black belt, by the way. But on paper, Sigano does have a black belt. So he is the more well-rounded guy here. But the thing is, Francis Ngannou possesses the kind of power where, you know, his, his punches don't have to be the prettiest. It doesn't have to be as technical or or as precise as a, a guy like Sigano. But when he sets up things properly, he doesn't even need to hit you flush to knock you out cold. And I really do believe that if guys like Tuivasa are going out here and rocking Junior Dos Santos, and Tuivasa lost his composure, it was his first main event, he's hurting a legend that he used to, that he probably had a poster on his wall of, and, uh, you know, and then he uh, <laughs> walked in there with his hands down and got knocked the fuck out, you know what I mean? And Black Beast, I love the guy, but it's just a completely different matchup because Francis and Junior are going to stand and bang until one man falls, and I would take Francis in that kind of fight against anyone in the heavyweight division. And I really don't think that Junior is going to come out here with some kind of wrestling game plan. Even if he does, I think that I think that's just going to gas him out really bad. And I got to say, even though that second Blades fight was really short, I saw some things I liked, man. And the way that Francis was digging in for those underhooks and separating on that first takedown attempt, I was like, okay, my boy Francis has been putting in work. He and knocked Blades out to the point where Blades thought it was an early stoppage. You know? I mean, he knocked Blades out like three times in a span <laughs> of two seconds. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, we used to talk about Junior Dos Santos' overhand right, man. What about Francis Ngannou's overhand right? Look, it's just it's two different eras of the sport meeting here in 2019. I really do believe that Junior Dos Santos' run from his Fabricio Werdum knockout all the way to his title defense against Frank Mir is arguably the best heavyweight of all time. But that time has come and gone, and now now it's time for the new era. I really think that Francis Ngannou is going to knock him out and uh, work his way back up to that title shot. So I'm going Francis Ngannou via first-round knockout. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this weekend in Minnesota. The heavyweights in the main event. How's it going? Hey, man, not too bad. Uh, coming off a, a fairly successful week that could have been a lot better. So I still want to make up for it. This is going to be the big winning week. Um, and on DraftKings, man, there's a lot of potential high scores. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I respect that attitude, my man. It's not often you see a guy coming off a four-plus unit win talking about how he wants to do better. But that's what we have here with Kyle Marley. And, man, in the main event between Ngannou and Dos Santos, what's interesting about it is you see the 8,800 next to Ngannou. You see the 7,400 next to Dos Santos. You know for a fact one of these guys is going to win via vicious knockout. It's going to cover that salary. Uh, which way are you going? I uh, see. Actually, I think if JDS wins, it could be by unanimous decision. Uh, but yeah, if Ngana wins, it's probably by vicious knockout. And I think um, that's the most likely outcome just with his power and JDS's chin issues and his age and the beatings he's taken. I think the most li likely outcome is uh, a first round knockout from Ngannou. And usually at like 9,400 or whatever he is, it's hard to really afford him because if he goes out there and gets a one punch knockout, he's sitting there at 100 points so that's not going to do it at 9500 but now at 8800 that will put him on the optimal so i think he's the best play on the slate i'm gonna have a lot of them uh but jds is very live here if he can avoid the knockout uh he's gonna win this fight he's just the better all-around fighter um way better striker way better 
movement. Uh, if anyone's going for takedowns here, I think it's going to be JDS. He's got the better cardio. Just everything about his game is better other than power and chin. Um, so I think he's very live here, so I will not be fading him. Um, it's just that he's got to avoid that knockout, and it's, it's hard to imagine that happening. But Ngannou's going to be so highly owned that having some JDS in your lineups is going to be smart. It'll be contrarian, even though this is the main event. Um, so I would like to go overweight on both of these guys if possible. Um, but yeah, give me Ngannou by first round finish. So Benavidez is rematching for Amiga. Obviously, you know the first time Joby knocked him out in the first round. But since that point, both guys risen up to the top of the division. I mean, Benavidez has always been perennial top two in the world, but now he's number one. Formiga's number two. Uh, who do you think gets it done in the rematch? I'm going to take Benavides here, but I think it's going to be unanimous decision. I don't see I don't see a finish coming from either one of these guys. I do think a knockout would be more likely from Benavides, and a finish uh, on the ground would be more likely from Formiga. I just think this is going to be a three-round striking match for the most part, and with it being the co-main event, it's going to get a lot of ownership. And I don't feel confident enough in either guy to be overweight when they're going to be, you know, 20 plus percent, 30 plus percent. So I think the move here, the move here is to just fade this fight or be underweight to it um, and let everybody else get get ownership. But for 400 more, I can go get Ngannou. So I'd much rather do that than get Benavidez. And same thing with Junior Dos Santos. For 400 less, I can get him over Formiga. So there's just a lot better plays on this card than these ones. So I, I'm going to be underweight to this fight as a whole, but I do think Benavidez wins 30-27. So Damian Maia is taking on Anthony Rocco Martin. As we know, Rocco Martin has been killing it ever since he moved up to 170 pounds. The question here is, can he take on a guy, can he beat a guy in Damian Maia who, historically speaking, unless you got the wrestling credentials of, you know, a Colby, a Kamaru, a Tyron Woodley, or your top five in the world like Rory McDonald, chances are he's going to backpack you or choke you out. Uh, which way do you see this one going? Yeah, I'm on Maya here. Um, I think I think he just has a much better chance at being on the optimal lineup. Uh, he's a lot more alive for a finish than Tony Martin is. Um, he's going to be the one looking for takedowns. He's probably going to be looking for him right away. If he can get him, he can get a first-round finish. Um and that's actually what I'm picking here. I'm taking Maya by first round submission, so that's making me like him. Only only 8600, so there's a good chance that puts him on the optimal lineup. Um, and that's another reason I don't like Benavides as much because I'd rather go to Maya. Uh, Martin, on the other hand, I think if he wins, it's probably going to be a striking based decision where it's not going to be super high scoring. And even at 7600, I don't think that's going to put him on the optimal lineup. I think he's also going to have a, a decent amount of ownership this week based on how many people I've seen picking them. So I think I'm going to be underweight, if not fully fading Martin this week and just give me my exposure to Maya. So speaking of some of the brightest prospects in the UFC right now, there's a kid named Roosevelt Roberts and seems like they're bringing him along the right way. And now he's taking up that next logical step up the ladder in Vince Bichel, the tough 15 veteran, always a tough out. Uh, which way are you leaning here, man? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Roberts. I just think he has a higher ceiling in the sport, more ways to win. Um, and I like his ground game a good bit. Um, but, man, what what I really don't like about this card is there's not a lot of underdogs to like. And Pichel, I mean, he is live for a knockout here. If he wins, it's probably by knockout. And if that happens, he's going to score highly. Um, so that's what's making him more my preferred play. It's not because I think he's going to win. It's just if he wins, 
he's going to score high and I don't really like any other underdogs. So, um, I'm going to be overweight on Pichel here, even though Roberts is my pick. I think Roberts is going to get a, get a unanimous decision win here, but I, I like other people to get finishes more. So I'm not going to be able to get too much Roberts into my lineups. Um, so yeah, even though I'm picking them to unanimously win, I would rather just take the upside of Pichel at 7,300 and I'll be hoping for the knockout because I'll have a lot more of him. So speaking of underdogs, there's a matchup also in the lightweight division between Drew Dober and Polo Reyes. And interestingly enough, they got Polo Reyes 6,700. Now, if we're, if we're going up against, you know, a wrestler or something like that, I completely understand. But it seems to me like Drew Dober likes to stand and bang with everyone he fights. That means he's going to give Polo Reyes the type of fight he wants. That being said, are you willing to dip in and take that 6,700 on the dog? Maybe pay the, the big price for the favorite? Or are you passing altogether, Kyle? Uh, I would rather just take the dog here uh, because if this can go three rounds, then even at 6,700 in cash, at least I'm totally okay with Reyes. Uh, Give me 35 points and a loss as the cheapest guy on the card. I'll totally take that. But 9,500 is kind of pricing Dober out of all or most of my lineups because I would rather get guys that are cheaper than him who are, who have a better inside the distance line. Really? Um, I do think if there's like a fight that, scores highly in the first with a lot of strikes and ends at the very last second of the first round that could be Dober and that would totally put him on the nuts with like 130 DK points I could see that happening Uh, so I don't know if I want to fully fade him here but that 9500 is really hard to pay for him when you got you know in Ganu for $700 less guys like that Um, so my preferred play is just Reyes I just think Dober does get the win I think he's the better striker he's probably going to go out there get a 30-27 that's what I think and last but not least, you got the return of Paul Craig. It's always fun when you have a Paul Craig fight in there. He's taking on Alonzo Menafield. Now, Kyle, before you break this one down, I kind of need to know something. What kind of points are we looking at when Paul Craig, you know, takes that whooping up front and then comes back with that last-minute submission? Does he does he rack up points doing that? 68 over Kennedy and 67 over Ankaliyev. So, so not really, huh? <laughs> no, no. Even though that's not even going to 10x his 7200s price here. So, um, the guy to like is definitely Menfield here. I mean, he's got the way better striking. He he should be able to keep this fight on the feet. I guess the worry is that Craig is going to pull guard, or maybe he could get a trip takedown, something like that. But if the fight hits the ground, Craig is very live in this fight, no matter what round it is. And if it's the first round, he's probably going to be on the nuts. So. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna avoid him. I've been fading him before, um, and, and it hadn't. I don't think he's been on the nuts for fading him, but he's. I've been too heavily against him with no exposure to him, where I don't want it to happen again. So I will be heavy on Mainfield here. I think he gets a first round knockout, but I will be hedging some lineups, and I'll have at least one Paul Craig this time, uh, because Mainfield is green, and. If this fight hits the ground, I think he could be in some trouble. So this is going to be one of the best fights to target on the card. I think. The uh, the inside or fight doesn't go to decision line is minus 410, I believe. So that makes it one of my favorite GPP fights overall. But give me um, Alonzo by knockout first round. You know, Kyle, when it happened with Anka Live, at first it was kind of like, you know, fool me once, shame on me. But then it happens again with Kennedy Nestruku. And it's like, man, is this going to be a recurring theme? Is this guy Paul Craig about to really finish (laughs) multiple people with triangles with, uh, you know, in the last round? (laughs) <laughs> that's the worry man i mean because i've seen it twice it's in my head so I'll, I'll throw at least 15 bucks away you know throwing one lineup in there with craig just in case he does it in the first round this time but man i, I hope he gets knocked out and 
and I can finally get a lot of points uh, picking against him. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Uh, they can watch it on ESPN. Kyle, they can follow you at Big Marley 3, and your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. I'm finishing those up right now. I will be sending those your way. Uh, they'll be available for purchase. So go get on the bets, get the write-up. Let's make some money this week. Thank you very much, Kyle Marley. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Minneapolis? My fight to watch is going to be Alonzo Minifield versus Paul Craig. You know, I want to see if the Scottish... Uh... This Scottish, isn't he a teacher, a math teacher, or <laughs> something? I know he's a, a librarian or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I want to see if this guy can pull off another fluke sub because, I mean, when he, if he pulls off another one of these, I mean, this guy, uh, they're going to have to sign this guy for life, man. This guy is pulling off subs in the last seconds of fight fights, uh, pulling subs off when he's down on the cards to the point where he's got no chance to win. And, you know, Menafil's a very green guy, but Menafil's also a prospect, so I want to see how Menafil approaches this test, if he can get revenge for his teammate, Kennedy. And uh, if Menafil wins this fight, Paul Craig's a, a good one to have on your uh, resume at 205. My fight to watch is the featured welterweight bout between Rocco Martin and Damian Maya. We know what the UFC are trying to do here. They're trying to test out their welterweight prospect in Tony Martin against the vet, the legend. I mean, is uh, Damian Maya a future Hall of Famer or no? Most submissions in UFC history? He's, he's a future Hall of Famer between you and me. So test him out against the future UFC Hall of Famer, one of the greatest jiu-jitsu artists in the history of the sport. And let's see what Tony Martin's got. So for that reason, Martin versus Maya is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Minneapolis? My fighter to watch is going to be Anthony Rocco Martin. Before he made his UFC debut, you know, he was the top prospect on the local scene. This guy fell on tough times. I mean, I think he jumped out, what, one and three to start off. And, I mean, he uh, he picked himself back up very respectably. Up away class now. He's undefeated. Biggest, tef biggest test of his UFC career. If he gets this win, he's in the top ten in the, in the welterweight division. He's about to skip a lot of guys that... Uh, had a lot more fights in them. Then you're going to see a lot of guys. Uh, then we can see these new welterweight matchups like uh, Rocco Martin versus Pons, Antho Rocco Martin versus, uh, you know. Elizu. Elizu, you know, things like that. So let's, let's change this welterweight division. So Rocco Martin's my uh, fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Dolce Champion. Look, there's a guy coming in with credentials as Champ Champ down in South Africa. And we know with these emerging fighters from Africa, you got the Francis Ngannou's. Kamaru Uzman, Razak Al-Hassan, there's even more Sodiq Youssef. These guys bring something very different to the table in terms of their athleticism, their pure power, and I do think that Dolce Champion possesses that for the light heavyweight division, so I'm very intrigued to see what he brings to the table here, especially with such a favorable matchup. So for that reason, Dolce Champion is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Quite a difference from the south in Greenville. Now they got it in the Midwest in Minnesota. Heavyweight main event. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. All I got to say is it is going down at UFC 239 and UFC Sacramento. This weekend as well at UFC Minneapolis, bestfightpicks.com. Also, inner tops have highly competitive MMA lines and a $200 or Euro sign-up bonus. Click the link in the description right now. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. BestFightPicks.com for the plays. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.